From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Father Brian Mullady is in the starting blocks ready to go. If you've got a question, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn dot com. I'm Jack Williams. My, my <clears throat> easy for me to say. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, Father Brian Mullady. How are you? Okay. You know, um, we as humans, and especially we as humans here in the West, have a propensity for fussing about things. And oftentimes, if you were to ask the person that they may be fussing about if they're willing to pray for that person or if they have been praying for that person, I don't think you're going to get an affirmative answer a lot of the time. And I think we, and I think that's to a large degree is because we underestimate the power of prayer. Uh, yeah, well, it goes without saying that I think people for... Centuries have underestimated this power. However, it is one of the penances for Lent, as you know. And so it's important to think about prayer. Today's readings from the Mass, uh, Father, Father on the EWN gave a pretty good homily about, very excellent homily about them, um, begin with Queen Esther. And as you recall, Queen Esther was the queen of Persia, one of them, Harim, I think. <laughs> and uh, the king of Persia had gotten very perturbed with the former queen, and so he did not know Esther was a Jewess, but she was very beautiful. And so he brought her to live in the royal palace, and she hid the fact that she was Jewish. And then one of the king's principal counselors, Haman, and I believe this was in Persia, in Susa, uh, was perturbed that the Jews wouldn't recognize him and uh, venerate him. And so he got the king to sign a decree that they'd all be killed on a certain day. And Mordecai, who was Esther's, I believe his... Her his uncle. Fa- her fa- uncle, yes. Um, he went to her and he said, you know, now that you've enjoyed all this stuff in the palace... You got to intercede for your people. So, in the first reading today, we have this very beautiful prayer, in which Esther, in, instead of trying to find some subterfuge, 
gives herself to prayer because the king has stated that if you try to come to see him and he hasn't summoned you, unless he stretches out the golden scepter, you'll be killed. So her life is on the line, too, in more ways than one. Well, when she goes, she's received well, and then uh, she talks to the king about this decree, and he's very angry, and finally Mordecai, uh, Haman, is punished, hung by the same uh, gibbet that he had prepared for Mordecai. Now, the point is, of the whole thing, is that Queen Esther, who's in this great debacle, gives herself to prayer and God helps her as he wills. This is applied by our Lord, of course, in the Gospels, who we have the famous ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Because though God wants to give us good things in prayer, there's always been a problem that people have had that if God's will is already set, why do I have to pray for it? Well, the problem is a part of God's will is that you pray for it or not. <laughs> because you have to cooperate with grace in order to receive grace being given to you. Now, of course, when it comes to conversion of heart and things like that, cooperating in grace is something that's also God's gift. So it always begins with God. But we must ask, we must seek, and we must knock. Obviously, asking, seeking, and knocking do not involve necessarily giving and finding and having the door open to us. God does all that. But he needs to find a soul prepared to receive the goodness of his gifts. The term prayer has many, many applications. Its most simple application is vocal prayer, which in Latin is a ratio, but that's only one of the kinds of prayer. Uh, generally speaking, when people discuss this, spiritual authors, they are talking about contemplative prayer, which vocal prayer does have a part of, but contemplative prayer is a lot more than just vocal prayer. Contemplative prayer also implies devotion of the will, and it also um, implies the reception of the graces which God wishes to give us to act well, what used to be referred to as actual grace. Sanctifying grace is a true change in our souls in which we actually experience a divine colloquy. We actually experience a loving conversation with God as a conversation with friends. When St. Teresa was asked to define prayer, she said a loving conversation with Jesus. And you can do that anywhere, in any way, in any thing. But then, in addition to that, the uh, you have to um, allow this actual grace, which is not a true change in your soul, but it allows you to prepare your soul, your mind, and your will to receive this gift by which we experience a fusion of hearts almost with the sacred heart of Jesus. So during Lent, what we're asked to do, especially regarding concupiscence, with which we all suffer, is to give ourselves to prayer 
to uh, ask God to help us to do things for a right intention, to do things because we love him. And of course, you were talking about praying for other people, perhaps people who have offended you or your enemies. It, it, that's important too. Um, sometimes in the community, if I have difficulties with a person, and I just say, look, it stops here. If he wants to have difficulties with me, that's fine, but I am not participating any further. And I ask God in prayer, if I can't you know, be positively kind to him, at least don't let me develop rancor or, you know, have a kind of from the hot cold war to the hot war, you could say. And oftentimes God will give you the strength or gift to support you in that. So we, we need to be aware of how important prayer is. Now, we all say it is. But the issue is, have you done it lately? Not just vocally, not just as an external observance, which is important, but also as a, a benevolent attitude caused by our union with God. That's why at the end of this passage today, we had do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This summarizes the law and the prophets because prayer is an attempt to, in a sense, look at others through Christ-like eyes. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside of the United States and Canada, don't fear. We have a number for you. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and we will even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and of course you can always send us an email that email address is open line at ewtn.com that's open line, all one word, at EWTN.com. If you want to be first in line, just pick up the phone right now. Wide open phone lines, 833-288-EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, way back in 1992, Mother Angelica started EWTN Radio. It was a shortwave radio operation that primarily uh, simulcast a lot of the stuff that was on uh, television. Uh, but really, the seminal moment in Catholic radio history in the United States was in 1995. Mother went on her live television show, and she put out the call that if anybody owned or could procure an AM or FM radio station, she would give them the programming for their station absolutely free. 
And by the end of 1996, uh, six people had taken her up on her offer. And uh, now as we sit here in 2023, uh, nearly 400 Catholic EWTN radio stations uh, across the United States. But there are still some places where you cannot hear uh, EWTN radio on an AM FM station if you maybe live in one of those places. And this message has pricked something in your heart. Uh, maybe he's calling you to be involved in uh, starting a group that might eventually bring Catholic Radio to your area. If you're interested in learning more about this, just send an email to Steve, uh, Steve Splonskowski, and you don't have to worry about spelling Splonskowski. Just send an email to Steve, and the email address is radio at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 288 3986. First up today is John in Arlington, Virginia, listening on Guadalupe Radio. John, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian Milady. Thanks very much. Um, Father, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. I, uh, several years ago, I came into possession of a very old prayer book through the priest who had brought me back to the church. He's now, he's now uh, gone to his eternal reward. And inside the prayer book, I found a very old prayer leaflet describing something called the Chaplet of Mercy, which was apparently given to a visitation sister named uh, Mary Martha Chambon in the 1860s. And I was struck because the, the prayers are very similar to the Divine Mercy Chaplet that we know today. And the chaplet was granted indulgences by Pope Pius XI uh, in the 1920s. So all of this predates the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I was wondering, do you know anything about this? I don't know if St. Faustina knew about this chaplet. And last question is, would it be safe to say that the current Divine Mercy Chaplet as we know it has superseded this and other things like it? Or how should we think about that? Uh, Okay, I don't know who you're referring to. Uh, anything about it. However, uh, you know, you can, divine mercy is divine mercy, right? <laughs> and uh, there's been many revelations about it, I'm sure, throughout the history of the church. Uh, I taught a group called the Fathers of Mercy. Father Way Benizes is one of their members in the seminary, and they date from the 1830s. So this devotion, of course, is a constant one. And I wouldn't say one supersedes the other. They've both been granted by the Church. The most common one at the moment, of course, is St. Faustina's. But there could be another one in the future that would um, be also become uh, more popular and more widespread. Divine Mercy isn't limited by much. <laughs> so... Awesome. John, that's a great question. Thanks for the call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Chris in Feasterville, Pennsylvania, listening on EWTN's app. Chris, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Father Milady. I have a question concerning con-celebrated Masses, a uh, situation where you have one main celebrant, and you have, let's say you have maybe two priests to his left and two to his right that are con-celebrating. When they extend their hands you know, towards the main celebrant, when he's consecrating, does that mean that uh, they are also actually consecrating at the same time, or just acknowledging the main priest is, has just uh, uh, consecrated? Well, 
the, the hands aren't extended to the priest. The hands are extended to the sacrament. Uh, that's why some people do it with the palm up. We used to do it with the palm down, and then some people thought it looked too much like the Nazi salute. <laughs> but it does give the uh, impression of an apoclesis. Um, yeah, no, no. It, the Their priests, too, together with the celebrant, the principal celebrant, and they're consecrating also. Uh, in fact, they could take a mass stipend, a personal mass stipend for it. So the extension of the hand is to the uh, bread and wine that they might become the body and blood of Christ. You know, before this, they put their hands, usually now they do do it with the palms down, either with their hands together or with the one hand, which is a um, sign of the epiclesis, which is the calling of the Holy Spirit down on the gifts to transform them into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So, uh, it, they're, anyway, they're not extending it to the priest, him. They're participating as priests in the consecration of the hosts and the bread and wine. Does that make sense, Chris? Uh, does Father have time for one very brief additional sure. question? It, it's very short. Uh, Father Milady, this is a hypothetical question. If you have an individual, let's say that an individual uh, is in mortal sin and has not gotten to confession, as, plans on going but hasn't gotten there yet, and the individual decides to say a rosary, for example, uh, would that rosary, when he, would the individual that has not confessed the mortal sin yet, would that rosary have any merit whatsoever? You know, if he's consecrating on the mysteries and so on, would that have any merit whatsoever? based on the fact that he hasn't confessed the mortal sin yet? Well, all prayers have merit. It doesn't matter, in a way. If you mean merit to heaven, uh, yes, provided that it would be impossible, morally, not physically, morally impossible for him to confess. And that, of course, applies to a priest who's celebrating Mass for people, too. If he can't confess, let's say he's in a rural parish, and there's no priest around to confess to, and he commits a mortal sin, uh, but he intends to go to confession as soon as he can go to a priest that he morally feels, you know, comfortable with, um, then he, he may celebrate Mass of the Faithful. In fact, there's an urgent pastoral necessity for him to do that, so he shouldn't omit to say Mass. But, uh, no, I would say that, yes, a person could merit from that on the proviso that when they can morally find a priest, that, uh, and I mean, you know, like not someone they, they know, for example, they don't want their confession to be known, um, then uh, they, of course, would merit, as, as would be the case with communion and things like that. Also, there's a, a proviso. Now, this is a moral theological opinion. I'm sure this would be debated by people, lots of people. But it was true in the older church, especially with convents of nuns where everybody went to communion every day, that you don't have to publicly convict, your, convict yourself of a sin. So if you abstain, there must be some reason. <laughs> 
And so uh, you may go to communion provided you intend to confess as soon as possible. God bless you, Chris. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. Next up is Natalie in Jasper, Indiana, listening on Tri-State Catholic Radio. Natalie, you're on with Father Brian Malady. All right. Good afternoon. How are you? Fine, thank you. All right. My question is, let's say I went to confession on a Tuesday and Saturday rolls around and I have way overindulged on alcohol. Out of respect on Sunday morning when I go to Mass, I withhold from going to communion. Am I being hard on myself or am I doing the right thing? Well, I don't think you can answer a question like that in a general way, frankly. Uh, Overindulging in alcohol, well, how much? You know, the, the... the overindulgence in alcohol, I think it's mortally sinful character, comes when you lose all reason and think, you do things like drive under the influence where you kill someone. Um, regarding how, whether you get drunk, uh, well, it depends on how drunk, because some people can be drunk a lot and yet still maintain their rationality. Whereas other people, they easily give in to things, and with other people, they just pass out. So, you know, I mean, I don't think you could answer a question like that in the uh, universal sense. If, I would say, if you drink to excess in such a way that your rationality is so impaired that the moral law means nothing to you, at that time, and that would, might be something like driving while they're drunk, or perhaps um, of a sexual nature, uh, forcing oneself on someone else that doesn't wish to have that happen to them, uh, then that would be a mortal sin and needs to be confessed. Otherwise, I think it would probably be a venial sin. So it's drinking to excess And the drinking to excess is primarily seen in whether you can preserve your rationality or not uh, when it's necessary. And there's no way. uh, People different people are different in that regard. Thanks, Natalie. We appreciate the call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Big congratulations going out to longtime member of the EWTN radio family, Billings Catholic Radio in Billings, Montana, celebrating their 12th year with EWTN radio. Congratulations to Roy Brown and his whole team at Billings Catholic Radio from all of us here at EWTN. Two open phone lines for you. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Straight ahead, we'll talk to Beth in the great state of Michigan, Joe in the Republic of Texas, Debbie in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And if you'd rather send us an email, we'd be happy to receive that as well. The email address is openline 
at EWTN.com. That's open line, all one word, at EWTN.com. And put Father Milady or Thursday in the subject line and it'll get to the appropriate folder. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Still a couple of lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Beth in the great state of Michigan watching us on YouTube today. Beth, thanks for holding your on with Father Brian Milady. Hi there. Um, as Catholic, I've always been taught that uh, Mary is a perpetual virgin. Uh, her birth was in part two, you know, I had a Protestant tell me that um, that's not true because um, uh, because Revelations, I think it's chapter two, you know, talks about uh, she cried out in pain, giving birth. Oh no, this is the the, the church. Yeah, the the woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, which is, I believe, in Revelation chapter 11, or 12. 12. Um, yeah, 12. Uh, that's both an image for the Mary and for the church. So the crying out in pain has to do with the, and it could be applied also to Mary, um, but it's the, the spiritual birth of the sons and children of God because of our persecution on this earth. And so, you know, you have the so-called compassion of Mary, the seven sorrows of Mary, um, all of which are connected to her son. But as far as uh, the um, Christ's conception, her womb was virginal, and she had no children. So, uh, obviously, she's a virgin both before and during and after. And whether or not she experienced the pains of childbirth, that's not really a settled issue, is it? Well, I think it's pretty settled, yes. Uh -huh. it's, um, it has to do with the freedom from original sin. Because remember, pain in childbearing is a punishment for original mm -hmm. sin. So I, I think that's pretty settled. The death of the virgin is not settled. Um, but what the death means there is another issue, too because it's possible to have a death which is not corrupting or painful and it's like a falling asleep. So that's why the Eastern Church celebrates the Assumption as what they call the Dormition, the sleeping of Mary. Um, but she obviously had to have some time in which her soul separated from her body so that she could pass the heaven and reassume her body. But in her case, it would not have been corrupting or painful or anything like that. Does that help for you, Beth? Yes, yes, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks sure. for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. To the Republic of Texas we go. Joe is listening on Guadalupe Radio. Joe, you're on with Father Brian Milady. 
Thank you. Uh, Brian, I have heard more than one priest say that the commandments are no longer necessary that they be, be followed. Can you give me the church's position on that? Well, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, it's a little more complicated. Um, actually, there are three sorts of precepts of the Old Testament commandments. You have the Ten Commandments, which are from the natural law. And then you have the first three of the Ten Commandments, which are ceremonial and religious law regarding divine worship, and, and as the way they're interpreted in Israel. And they include things like circumcision and the temple cult. And then you have the last seven commandments, which are interpreted in a certain way to Israel. For example, you have the law of first fruits, in which the owner of a field is allowed to take the first harvest but if anything is left over, or let's say they have a second uh, gleaning, that has to remain on the trees or wherever for the poor and the widow and the orphans and the foreigners. Now, our Lord abrogated the ceremonial precepts. He, in other words, he fulfilled them, so therefore we don't have to obey them anymore. What was circumcision is now baptism. What was the temple cult is now the... Um, uh, worship the bass. The last seven commandments are abrogated in the sense that our Lord, they're not so specific in the New Testament. And the reason is because if you have the Holy Spirit in your soul, those kinds of things you should be able to figure out for yourself. But the seven, the Ten Commandments as representing the natural law, that hasn't been changed at all. And we have to obey those still. And again, the fulfillment of them is why Christ came. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the New Testament. Uh, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to bring them to fulfillment. So that's the answer. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head up north to Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Debbie is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Debbie, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question about um, a previous confession of mortal sins. Uh, we're talking over 20 years ago. Um, and I have received absolution when I went to confession. Um and I haven't recommitted those mortal sins. Um, but 20 years later, as I have discovered SiriusXM and listening more and learning more about my faith, and I'm hearing um, when you go to confession that you need to state the quantity of times that you committed those sins in order for it to be valid. And I never did say how many times, and neither did the priest say uh, or ask me how many times. So now is this still considered valid, or do I have to go back and recontest those sins? Well, since it wasn't, since the priest didn't tell you that, since you weren't educated about it, you did that in ignorance. Had you known, you would have certainly tried. Um, right. So uh, that covers all the past confessions. In the future, you have to confess. 
all remembered mortal sins, both kind and number. Notice I say mortal sins, not venial sins, all right? And uh, so in the future, you must try to be very careful to say number and kind. Does that put your mind at rest, Debbie? Yes. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. That's 833-288-3986. Anne is in Columbus, Ohio, a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Anne, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thanks. What can we do for you today? Uh, my niece has been baptized Catholic and now is looking at getting married. Is she considered Catholic because she what? didn't make First Communion or any, any confirmation or anything? Once you're baptized Catholic, you're considered Catholic. It doesn't matter if you ever darken the door of a church again in your life. And the same when you die. So, yes, she's considered Catholic for the purposes of marriage. And that's one of the reasons they place such emphasis on uh, the promises to raise the child Catholic, right, Father, at baptism? Yes, and it's also why, uh, let's say you have a Catholic who hasn't practiced their religion at all, but they have a mixed marriage. They marry uh, someone who's not Catholic, and they do it before a justice of the peace. Well, if they were Protestants, we'd recognize their marriage because Protestants recognize marriage before the justice of the peace is Christian marriage, but we don't. And so that person could easily uh, get an annulment uh, because we don't believe the marriage ever existed. But once you're baptized Catholic, it's stamped, we stamped it on you, on your soul. It's called the character. (laughs) And you never, even if you're a heretic, even if you apostatize, even if you persecute the church, you're still Catholic. God bless you, Ann. Thanks so much for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Joe is another first-time caller. He's in Louisville, Kentucky, listening on Holy Family Radio. Joe, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Yeah, good afternoon, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a Catholic, I'm 72 years old, and my wife attends the church with me, and she is not Catholic. She is a non-denominational evangelical Christian, and I attend church with her. So my question is, I've been made aware of what's referred to as the elect. I've, I've not only heard it in Protestant circles, but I've actually heard it on EWTN. I would like to know what should be my understanding of the elect, and along that same line, Porta, is um, the Calvinist view of unconditional predestination. And that is that someone is predestined to be saved or not to be saved at or before their birth, if you will, does not enter into it. That was not my understanding at all as a Catholic, but I do hear it in Protestant circles. So I'll listen now for your answers. Thank you for your help. Well, that's one of the reasons why we don't like Catholics going to non-Catholic services, uh, because they hear all this stuff, 
and they don't quite know how to deal with it all. Because for one, they're not aware of the religious wars that occurred during the Reformation. I seriously doubt that there are 5% of the Protestants in the world, or for that matter, the Catholics could tell you what the arguments are really all about. I mean, they were serious arguments. It's obvious by the fact that they caused wars over them, uh, and they led to the, you know, com complete um, separation of faith. But uh, it, it's important to, uh, I, I know you're doing this because you love your wife, but, uh, you know, when you go to a Protestant service, you're basically saying you agree with what they think. Now, as to the issue you asked me, the elect, uh, the 144,000 in the book of Revelation are the elect. Those who are, God has predestined in some way to be saved. This predestination includes their free will. No one is forced to be saved. So, in other words, God has foreseen those who will uh, open themselves by their free will and those who won't when he created the world. The 144,000 are not an actual number. They're an example of biblical numerology, and they're, what is it, 12 by 12 by 12, something like that. So that's the number 12 that's the important thing there, and it has to do with perfection. So the idea is that when those whom God has uh, predestined, not by uh, uh, secondary predestination. Uh, he predestines all of us to be saved by primary predestination. But that includes our free will, which God knows whether we'll choose it or not. When that number is finally completed, then the reason for the creation of the world will be completed and as a result, the motion of the heavens and the earth will cease. So it's not a positive predestination in the sense that God forces you to be good or evil. It's rather a recognition that God wants you to be good, to go to heaven. Let's put it that way. There's a reason he created the world, to share himself with others and his goodness but the fact is, he knows that not everyone, even if there's one less, remember you have this famous line, many are called, but few are chosen. Now you have to take that again, according to the language in which it was written. The way it should be translated is, many are called, but less are chosen. So it could be just one less in the history of the world. Who knows? But, they're the the chosen ones of the predestined or the elect. I think the Protestants mean something a little different than that, though, because the elect had to do with, well, you know, the people who are members of the church, basically, and at least in Calvinism, that's positive and negative, and you're supposed to, in some versions of Calvinism, you're supposed to be able to tell this by how successful they are in the world. Because remember, they were, Protestantism was a bourgeois, middle-class religion. They didn't have a lot to do with poor people. And that's, whereas Catholicism is a religion in which the poor are always welcomed. 
Be sure to check out EWTN News In-Depth tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. A decade at the Vatican, a look back at the first 10 years of the pontificate of Pope Francis, plus how a church service at a small Kentucky college inspired thousands across the country to pray without ceasing. That's EWTN News In-Depth with Monse Alvarado tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next up is Susie in the great state of Wyoming listening on Real Presence Radio. Susie, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, can a Catholic receive Holy Communion twice in one day? And if so, what are the requirements? Very good question. Um, and we went through untold problems about this. Uh, in the 70s, especially once we had Mass in the evening permitted. Yes, a Catholic may receive communion more than once a day, provided they attend the whole Mass. So you can't just rush to church and want to go to communion um, a second time. You have to attend the whole Mass, period. Got that, Susie? Yes, I do. All right. Very good. You're very welcome. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Ohio. Susan is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Susan, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you. My question is, I am a post-abortive woman and I've had more than one abortion. I am very sorry for my sins. I've gone to confession, and I was going and saying it repeatedly. Father finally said, you have to stop asking for forgiveness on this. You've already been to confession. But my real question is, I feel a little worried that that I'll never even have a single chance to go straight to heaven because of what I've done. And if I've been forgiven, and I know you have to make atonement for every sin that you've committed, how could I possibly atone for something like that? And does that automatically make me go to purgatory, rather than getting a chance to, as you increase in holiness, to go to heaven despite this sin? Uh, That's a very good question. And I think a lot of mothers who have aborted their children have the same question. At least of my experience in the confessional is any uh, um, norm for that. Look, uh, the anguish you experience and your desire for continuous confession, you know your sins are forgiven. I'm sure you know that doctrine. So you needn't worry about God where God is concerned because you're fine with God. You, you will go to heaven. Uh, as to the question of your purgation, well, you're suffering here on earth for having committed this act is your purgatory. Remember, you can have purgatory after death or purgatory before death. The people who haven't experienced the purgatory before death, they're the ones that have to do it after death. And, you know, you're spending your whole life, in a sense, in sorrow for what you did. Now, the positive aspect is 
that you could use that sorrow as a motivation to pray for your child. Number one. Number two, you could also use that motivation to pray that when women will perform abortions, have abortions performed on them, so that they might be uh, spared uh, the anguish which you are experiencing. But your feeling of anguish and the still the need to be forgiven is your purgatory. You need to, uh, well, the priest, some priests will tell you not to do that because they don't want you to think that you're not forgiven because you are. I have to say that I'm a little more liberal in that. I tolerate it mostly because I, I, I have no question that the person thinks they've been forgiven their sin, usually. But they have such a need constantly to be reassured because they feel so terrible about what they did. So it's the feeling of terrible. In other words, I feel like I'm just listening to someone expressing a continuous anguish of heart. And because the child was yours, a part of you and your body, uh, it's even more poignant than it would be over someone else. So um, I don't uh, ever reprove them for doing it. I do remind them, however, that your sin is forgiven before God. But if you wish to express a continuous sorrow and desire to feel forgiven, not to be forgiven, but to feel forgiven, then I'm happy to listen for a little while. Does that help, Susan? Yes. Does the child go to heaven since they weren't baptized? We don't know. No one knows. <laughs> Some people feel they experience the baptism by blood. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it's an explanation. They obviously don't have the baptism of desire or water. Remember, there are three kinds of baptism. And the holy innocents died in the place of Christ uh, before they could speak, really, or, or make any, or well, at least before they could make any acts of free will or anything. And yet we celebrate them as martyrs. So uh, I, uh, there's always the possibility, and um, I think that that might motivate you to that. God bless you, Susan. You'll also have a whole bunch of people praying for you after your call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Dennis is in New York listening on the Station of the Cross. Dennis, just a couple of minutes left with Father Milady. What's your question today? Thank you, Father, for taking my call. And before I ask my question, please, if you could keep my personal intentions in your prayers tonight, I'd appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Father, I went to a high school reunion last month, a Catholic high school reunion, and during the session, you know, uh, rapping about the past, six guys admitted they got vasectomies, and two admitted that they're Freemasons. And, you know, I almost blew a whistle. Are you guys crazy? You're a Catholic. You can't do this. And everyone looked at me like I'm crazy. How do we get the word out, Father Brian, uh, about the rules of our church? Well, just the way you did. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, oh, my goodness, he went to a reunion of his Catholic high school. What what reunion was it? It was our 50th. 
Fiftieth. Well, that's yeah. Let's see. So that would have been oh gosh, you're in the seventies. Oh yeah, everybody fell away from the church, you know. So <laughs> they all talk about the old school tie, but as far as far as the faith is concerned, you know, I taught in a Catholic high school in Los Angeles from seventy seven to seventy nine. And I'm just uh, very grateful that some of my boys that I taught still go to Mass and on a regular basis. Uh, and others, they'll admit to you that um, they don't, but they should. <laughs> so, and as to the vasectomy issue, a lot of people are very curious. I'll tell you, I had some friends, male friends, who had been cops and they were both devout Catholics. One had never fallen away from the church. The other one hadn't returned. And one day the subject came up of the sectomy, and they both admitted they'd had one. And I said, well, you do realize that's a mortal sin. Really? Why? Oh, well, duh, it's contraceptive. Duh. <laughs> like that. So we talked about it, you know, and... Uh, well, one one left and the other one stayed, and uh, the other one was a very, very good and honest person. And finally, he said to me, "You know, Father, deep down we knew it was wrong, but we just wouldn't admit it to ourselves." So, um, just the fact that you say something about it might lead to some examination of conscience. God bless you, Dennis. Thanks so much for the call today, Father. Would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday today. We'll be right back at it again tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until then, God bless.